It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the news edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk and Paul Dettino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513, or check us out on Twitter. It's hashtag GiantsChat, also hashtag BBKL. I'm trying to get that going here. Maybe do a little different hashtag. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> give us a call. And again, 201-939-4513. We're going to get Phil Sims on here, and hopefully in, in just a minute or two as we get ready for the Giants and the Falcons coming your way on Sunday afternoon. Mr. Dettino, how are you today, sir? Doing well, John. Good to see you again. Uh, Giants out there on the practice field as we speak. Still some optimism regarding Evan Ingram and his calf. It was limited yesterday. Yeah, we won't know, obviously, until uh, Sunday. But at this point, there is certainly some hope for him to get back into the lineup. And as we said on yesterday's show, Rob Gronkowski was open on a number of occasions and caught two touchdown passes against the Falcons last week. It might be beneficial to have Ingram available. Yes, and of course he has also caught touchdowns against a lot of people this year too, Rob Gorkowski. He's been a had a great year. Two weeks. He's he's been a magnet (laughs) in the end zone. No question about it. But we did hear Paul from the assistant coaches and the coordinators earlier on today. Anything in particular jump out to you about what you heard from Patrick Graham, Jason Garrett, and Thomas McGahee? Well, two things, one from Graham and one from Garrett, I thought in particular. Certainly, uh, Jason Garrett explained, much like Joe Judge did yesterday, that the frustrations on the sideline when uh, Galladay had talked about some of the plays that he'd like to see, that's stuff that happens all the time when we get Phil Sims on the line. We'll talk to Phil about that. Uh, there are there are always these little flare-ups on the sideline. And as long as they don't carry over into anything else, it's not a big deal and it's just part of the game. And as far as Coach Graham is concerned, I love the way that he wants to put it on his own shoulders. Oh, yeah. I mean, every time you ask him about anything about the defense, he just said, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me, it's my responsibility. He can't yeah. say it enough. I need to teach it better. I need to scheme it better. I need to put these guys in better spots. He's just one of those guys, you know what he, you know, remember when we were told that like he's always mean and grumpy all the time and he told us that and miserable, every, I believe right? was his quote. Miserable, and everybody yeah. laughed mm-hmm. and said, How could that possibly be? That's because Coach Graham's a perfectionist. He's always striving to do better. I don't think he ever thinks enough is enough. He needs to do better. He's driven by that. And I think, you know what? It's it's kind of easy to work for a guy who does those things. If he's driven for his own purposes and for his own unit to do better, I think it's easier for players to want to do that too. Yeah, no question about it. I agree with you. Uh, I want to get to Kadarius Tony on offense for a second. Was McGahee asked at all about Tony being used more as a return guy? I did not get out there in time for him. Yes, he was and said at some point he will. But at this point, he's still learning things on offense. And so just be patient about it. But at some point, he did expect that Tony would be involved in the return game. So did he give a reason why not so far or just because he was focusing on the offense mostly? No, I think as I go back over my notes, he was talking about the fact that he missed a lot of time. Mm-hmm. You know, he dealt with the COVID. He dealt with the, with the hamstring. And he's still trying to pick stuff up, but he's still coming along. They like the way he's working, but he said in due time. And that was the point that Tyke Tolbert and Jason Garrett both made about Kadarius Tony as well, by the way, that, you know, 
he basically had three practices before the season started, which is what we've been trying to tell everyone. And even with a full off season, we thought his offensive playtime would be limited just because mm-hmm. of all the weapons here. We did. You throw that into the fact that the other three wide receivers have been healthy. They've all been on the field. They haven't missed any time because of injuries so far. Slayton, Shepard, and Galladay. Obviously, Galladay, not in the off season, but in the regular season, he's been healthy so far. And Tony's still figuring things out. And it's going to take him some time to figure those things out to get back on the field. And how they're going to use him and how effective he's going to be is just a matter of him getting used to being an NFL player, understanding what the Giants are asking from him and how he's going to fit into this scheme. Well, the question becomes, at this point, whose snaps do you want to take from if you're going to add Tony to the mix unless you're going four wide, you know, without any and backfield and, and you're going to, you know, if you want the double tight end, you don't want the double tight end, you want Barkley in there, where are you going to steal those snaps from? I think we all believe that if they're four wide, Tony plays. He's the fourth receiver. But, but if you're not four wide, where did his snaps come from? And I think people need to also understand that, too. Look, I thought the first way to break him in would be in, re- in the return game. But that's clearly not the way the Giants want to work it. I understand it. I respect it. That's fine. That's probably the reverse of what I might have thought. But I'll say this, and Phil could talk about this when he comes on with us. Look, if you have a rookie wide receiver who runs the wrong route, and it's a timing route or a hot route, and that quarterback gets rid of the ball, and it winds up hitting the opponent in the numbers because the rookie ran the wrong route, how well do you think that's going to go over? (laughs) I mean, seriously. So you've got to be very, very careful when you start trying to force a rookie into the lineup before he's actually ready. But uh, again, I I do think the Giants seem to to have an inkling as to how they want to use him and how they want to wean him in, and we'll just have to uh, be patient with it. Yeah, no question about it. Just got a note from Dan Salamone, Joe Judge on Evan Ingram today on his way out to the practice field. Ingram moving on the track yesterday, not concerned with Gallaudet or the other guys that are limited. So there doesn't seem to really be um, any potential issues there in terms of um, those guys being able to play this week, which is certainly a good sign. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do, again, I do think that right now, based on the trouble that the Falcons have had in their back seven, you'd like as many weapons as possible at your disposal. Yeah, no question about it. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. That's the telephone number. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino with you talking Giants football. Um, Paul, so as we look ahead here to the Falcons, you know, they're an interesting team. This is not the same high-flying type of offense that we've seen to them before with, like, Julio Jones and stuff like that. They've really adopted that. You know, Tennessee Titan, run first, play action, Mm -hmm. you know, wide zone run type of scheme here where they're in 11 personnel only like, I think it was, I have the number of my story here, I have to pull it up. I think they're only in 11 personnel this year, about um, 42 per, no, that's the run percentage, Um, very seldomly, where is that number, 36% of the time. So they're much more of a run-first team. But it looks like, Pearson, do we have Phil on the line? Yes, and now we're joined by the one and only Phil Sims. And, of course, the Sims Spotlight is presented by Bigelow T. Grab a mug and tea proudly. Phil, you have John Schmelk and Paul Dottino here in East Rutherford. I think we had our phone numbers crossed because we're no longer doing this show from my basement and we're back in the facility, but I think we're good to go now. Phil, how are you? 
Well, I'm doing well. Good to talk to John, to Paul. Good to talk to you guys. And, uh, yeah, I was sitting on the line going, was it something I said? (laughs) You know, what did I do? Because, you know, what comes out of my mouth always gets me in trouble, but I've been, but it's okay. I enjoyed listening to the rhythms of the music, the nice soft music y'all had playing in my ear. But, yeah, it's um, good to be with you guys. And it seems like the Giants played like four weeks ago. So it's amazing <laughs> because there's so many games in between watching all the NFL games. And it's I swear I just go, okay, let me get my head back into that game down in Washington and try to remember a lot of things. I said, oh, good. The good thing is I wrote a few notes down. That helped. So. <laughs> well, Phil, let's start right here because we've heard from players, but specifically we've heard from the head coach, Joe Judge, as well right. as the coordinators, more specifically Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, about how teams through the first four weeks of the season are really trying to find their sea legs. They're trying to find out who they are, what their identity is. And in fact, Joe Judge even said yesterday that it takes four games to figure out what you really have in terms of trends, what what needs to be fixed, what needs what what's exposed. How do you generally look at the play around the NFL during these first couple of weeks? Because I have a feeling there are a lot of head coaches who feel the same way. Oh, yeah. Even some teams that are 2-0 and are shaking their head. And, of course, a lot of teams that are 0-2, just to take one, the Indianapolis Colts, you know, they kind of probably, you know, look at them and go, how are we 0-2 when we, can be t- we should be 2-0? and Minnesota Vikings. But that is a really – it's really true about trying to find who you are. And every team is doing that, by and large. Some have, you know, come out of the gates on fire and got it going. But you work all off season, you come up with new plays, some new things we're going to do and all this and everything. Then you use them in training camp. Then the season starts, you go, okay, uh-oh, all that work, all that time, it's not who we are. And why is it – every year is different. You have different people, a few different coaches, and you just got to find out what works for you. I thought the Giants in week two did make uh, strides in, the, in that department. And so the, that statement, is not, it's not just coach speak or anything like that. It's real. And it, I did it every year. We would, oh, we got all these new passes we're going to put in, Phil, and we'd do them in training camp, and they would work okay in preseason. And we never used them during the season. We went back to the uh, – so it, it, it's, it's uh, the first four weeks, it's fast, it's unpredictable in the NFL. Everybody's healthy, everybody's emotional. And um, you try to get it settled down, and you try to find out way to win games while you're trying to figure out who you really are. Phil, so what do you think about the Giants' offense so far the first two weeks, the progress Daniel Jones has made, and just in general how they're moving the ball? Because I think you've got to be pretty happy almost getting the 30 points against what's a pretty good Washington defense in Week 2. Yes, you know, I wrote down a couple things, and the first thing I put at the top of my page, uh, well, a couple things, not just one. One, when I watched the game, you know, over, Saquon Barkley was better than he was the first game which has to be, you know, make people feel better, giant fans, the giant organization. And, and, and I watched, I said, oh, wow, you know, TV kind of maybe, you know, muddled my judgment a little bit, but I thought it was better. So that's got to be something. Now, 10 days later, he gets to play again, and I would, I would think and hope that he's going to be better because I still believe he's such a huge key to the Giants' team on both sides of the ball. And the other thing I wrote down is, you can't put the football in the hands of Daniel Jones enough. 
And, you know, the learning curve is over. He's ready to go. He was, I thought he was really, really good against the Washington football team. He made, I, 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 make, I have all my own stats. I don't look at numbers a lot, but I wrote down six or, I can't remember if it was, well, I'll tell you exactly. I wrote down six big-time throws in the game that he made, under pressure, into tight coverage, whatever you want to say, that were top-level play by him. I thought he played almost a flawless game, and uh, that has to make Giant. And, you know, Giant fans, I got mad last week. I was on a radio show. Everybody quit calling in and telling me about Daniel Jones. He's not the problem, period. He wasn't a problem against the Denver Broncos, and he sure as the heck wasn't the problem with the Washington football team. So he's probably, right now, the best player on the football team. And uh, so we've got to let that rest, and let's just move on and try to figure out some other things uh, that, that can help the team get better. So I want to do a quick follow-up on your Barkley point. When you say he looked better in Week 2, do you mean just movement better, looking healthier, or is it more reading his blockers, being more decisive, finding the right hole? Where did you, where did you specifically see him look better in Week 2 versus Week 1? All the above. You know, a little more explosion. We saw it on that one run. I saw it on a couple inside runs. A little more trust in his, you know, his uh, uh, fixed knee, whatever you want to say. And just, you know, confidence. I could see it. You know, and I watched it. I went, oh, boy. That's why I love watching things over because usually my first impressions when watching a game, especially on TV and then really watching it, it's amazing. You know, TV lies. And we get caught in narratives, and I keep waiting. I want to see the guy that we saw that just was the talk of the NFL. And, of course, that, that was stupid of me to think that. And, uh, but it's coming. I, I definitely could see it. And, it, again, it, it, it has to make everybody have a little more faith in the team. It has to, it has to make the whole team feel better because the players see it too. And I'm sure the practice, it's, it just keeps getting a little better in practice every day and hopefully we'll see it against Atlanta this week. Phil, it always starts with the offensive line, and I think to many people's surprise, the pass protection has been better than the run blocking, which we all know offensive linemen will tell you run blocking's easier. That's what they enjoy to do. But the pass pro, I, I think, has been functional, and especially considering that they've had to change some guys out. I mean, you had the knee surgery yesterday. Now they're saying he's probably out for the year. Nick Gates broke his leg, so he's out for the season. I mean, this is a difficult spot, but the pass pro has been surprisingly functional. Uh, yes, it has. And I thought overall against the Washington uh, defensive line, they did a good job. You know, the problem with the Washington defensive line is this. You know, there's no depth there. So how many plays can a defensive lineman really dig in there and make it work? How many times can you rush the passer? So, yeah, I thought the Giants did a good job of adjusting in that game. And, you know, let's go down to this. Always when I look at playoff teams, I probably said this to you guys a couple times last year, but when you look at the teams that you really go, wow, they you got to worry about them. The first thing you look at, they have, usually have good offensive lines. Are there a few – uh, examples where it's not, yeah, there's a couple. I don't look at Kansas City and go, wow, they got one of the top you know, five or six or ten defense offensive lines in the NFL, but they have some ex- you know, some circumstances that you got to judge them differently, and it's called Mahomes and Hill and Travis Kelsey and so on and Randy Reed. But, um, yeah, the offensive line is always, to me, the number one issue on every team. 
Show me a team that's offensive line that struggles, and I'll show you a team that's probably not going to make the playoffs. You know, Phil, you mentioned, and I think it's ironic, heading into the year, all the concerns about this Giants offense and whether or not they would score enough points. But through the first two weeks, I think the larger question is, can this defense get off the field and keep teams out of the end zone? So what have you seen from the Giants' defense in, this, in these first two weeks, and what do they need to do better to just, frankly, give up fewer points? Well, listen, one is, you know, the quarterback. you got to get there. The, the new trend in the NFL and every team is doing it. It's, I, I, you know, I basically every team. I'm, I, I'm sure there's a couple that I've studied and where I'd say differently, but everybody likes this what I call the shell defense, and it's played many different ways. And what they're basically saying, we're going to give you some short throws, but we're not going to give you anything down the field. At least that's the thought process. But there's ways they're all exposing that too. So when you're going to do that, in which the Giants do play it, and they. Probably didn't play it as much as I thought against Washington when I was watching the game on TV. I'll say this. When they did play man-to-man, there was nothing there that would go, oh, we can't do that anymore. I think they can. And I thought they actually did pretty well against it. But in today's league, if you're going to play that defense, you've got to get to the quarterback somewhat quicker because the throwers and catchers, especially the catchers and the offenses and the play design, they're so good. They'll just pick you apart. Oh, you want to give me seven? We'll take it, baby. And it's this. And it just keeps rolling. And then all of a sudden, you know, and, and like I said, it's played so much, everybody is finding the holes in these coverages and still getting the football down the field. So if the Giants are going to play that, then the pass rush has got to pick it up, that's for sure, to help protect the backside of the defense. Last week, Phil, the Buccaneers sent a lot of five-man pressures against Matt Ryan who I think over the years, I mean, look, 10 consecutive 4,000-yard passing seasons, tremendous completion percentage, doesn't throw a lot of picks. I mean, I, look, I think he's ageless. I, he looks just as good to me now as he ever did. If you don't get into his lane, Tampa had two deflections for picks the other day. Right. If you don't get into his windshield, it's a problem. Well, look, he's, uh, you said a lot of nice things about Matt Ryan, and surely you are right. Uh, the offense is different, a little more conservative. It truly is. They want to be the Tennessee Titans. But you know what? they got to get an offensive line that matches that. And then, uh, you know, good luck on trying to find Derrick Henry. Uh, but <laughs> Matt Ryan, yeah. But Matt Ryan is, you know, I love hearing all the commentators this week. Oh, he's old. It's a regular. You know, they should have got a quarterback. Oh, I mean, come on. Everybody shut up. Talk about something besides a quarterback. And, you know, but he's resourceful. Of course he's smart. He knows how to get rid of the football quick, even against a tremendous pass rush. He finds the right guy. And he moves around a lot better than everybody gives him credit for. That, you know, yeah, I'm not, he's not Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or whatever, but he still moves around well in the pocket, gets outside the pocket, and makes a lot of plays that way. So, you, there's a reason he's put up all those numbers all the years. It's not because he's just loaded with talent and the offense is made for the quarterback to have tremendous success and all these things. He has definitely had his part in it. And that's right. A couple years ago, well, it's starting to add up. He was the MVP of the NFL. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to kind of go back to that type of offense. But the, the talent is, is not there 
in Atlanta right now to do what they were doing years ago. Yeah, Phil, you're right. I think you watch them, and you're not seeing three wide a lot. You're not seeing four wide a lot. They're in a lot of 21, 22, 12. That accounts for, I think, more than 60% of their snaps. And I wow. think, the, the yeah, I, was, I, I can actually give you the percentages here because, you know, in the NFL now, everyone's playing 11 personnel, right? For the Falcons this year, they've been in 11. This is being tracked by uh, Pro Football Focus, just 36% of the time. But they're in 12, 21, or 22, 54% of the time. So that's a lot of heavy personnel. And I think the two guys that kind of allows them to play that way that are interesting are Kyle Pitts, the rookie, who they haven't really unlocked yet and asked him to do a lot of different things, but they've lined them up in a lot of different places. And then Cordero Patterson, who they use as a running back, as a slot guy, as a guy out wide, as a wide receiver. Can you just talk about how they use those two guys and what the Giants need to do to defend them as their two primary weapons in the offense? Well, everything you said plays into the Giant defense. I mean, when, you know, the first thing, when I look at the Giant defense, I go, up front, they're big. Yeah. I mean, so they should be able to stand in there and slug it out with the Atlanta Falcons. And you hope they continue this trend in what they're doing. But, you know, when I look at their offensive line and that, I just don't see that overpowering front. And, two, you know, until they start running the ball and doing all that, all the passes to Kyle Pitts, that's where they'll start to come around. You know, and, and th- there's no doubt about it. Arthur Smith, is try- he wants to recreate what was going on down in Tennessee. But, boy, that, that's a tall task to ask when you look at a football team that really had turned in, let's just throw it and throw it every down almost is what they have been for the last few years because that's what Matt Ryan wants. And uh, so it's a big changeover, and it's such a big change. That's going to take a while to really to get, I guess, efficient and really you're, you're trying to change the mindset. Let's be run and gun, and now we're going to be smash it tough and all those things. That's really tough. And I think this is a very good matchup for the Giants. And uh, keep Matt Jones in the pocket, and I think the Giants should beat the Atlanta Falcons. All right, Phil, I got, one, sure. fan, I got one fan question, then Paul has a question about Eli going into the Ring of Honor. So first, a fan question. This one from one of our regulars, uh, our good friend Charlie. He wants to know if you are the offensive coordinator, Phil, because a lot of the knives are out for Jason Garrett this year. I don't quite know why, but they are. Uh, if you were the Giants' offensive coordinator, how would you use Daniel Jones? What do you consider to be his strengths? Well, his strengths are, well, there are many things. As I would tell fans out there, until you've been around Daniel Jones, you can't believe how big he is. And now we've seen it many times now, the fact that he can really run. And he can, he can throw under pressure. Those are all great traits for an NFL quarterback to have. But I, I think I answered the question already. I want to see more of these runs with the quarterback. And uh, I and and people go, oh, that's dangerous. No, no. Let me tell you, here are the facts. Phil, Paul, it's more Paul, dangerous. Phil, real quickly, Paul Dottino's dying in his chair right now. Just FYI, I gotta let you know, he does not like Daniel Jones running. He's so red, I can't even tell you. It's hilarious. <laughs> Phil, oh, you're killing me. You're killing me, Phil. <laughs> well, you know what? You're making my day because I love to get Paul upset. <laughs> and, me too. And, that's great. Paul, listen to me. Here we go. When the quarterback is running the ball. He determines what hits he wants to take. He makes those judgments himself. But when you're in the pocket, it comes out of nowhere. And sometimes, no matter what you do, you can't defend yourself because of the situation you're in. And that those are the facts. Wow. Have you seen? And that's it. When Daniel Jones is running the football, 
he sees somebody coming, he goes, you know, I'm not going to take that hit. I'm going down. Yeah, but he doesn't slide enough, Phil. He hasn't learned how to slide yet, and that's my problem. Well, you know, he's doing all he, – hey, then you slide – you dive head first, whatever. Or when you see the hit coming, Paul, you protect yourself. You kind of put your hands – and then you go down in this situ, uh, a spot where they can't hurt you. And I'm not going to compare it to Lamar Jackson, but everybody always says that about him. And I go, wait, be quiet. He's determining what hits he wants to take. And when he sees them, he either knows to protect himself or kind of – get the position, which he does every once in a while, which I would not like as a coach, he will try to catch you off guard and deliver the blow to you. So I don't ever remember, not that I scrambled, but I did a lot my first couple years. You did. I I don't remember ever getting hit on a run where I go, oh, boy, I I better get. No, I never got hurt running the football. Okay. And and I did run a lot those first couple years. Oh, I know you did. I know you did. but I did get hurt standing in that pocket quite a few times. Mm-hmm. You so. just made my day, Phil. All right. Well, Phil, I'm going to digest this. And because it's coming <laughs> hey, from Paul, you, I take, it for, I take it for real. Well, you just got to listen. Facts are facts. And, you know, listen, I've facts. had this argument with coaches. <laughs> and the coaches, as I get off the phone, I just go, okay, you just handed my rear end to me. And I believe you. And it makes sense. And it's right. Because I've watched it. And I see it in every game with almost every quarterback. When they're running – they're not taking unnecessary hits. You know, they can protect themselves, and they determine what they want to do. And if they try to do too much and make a move when they shouldn't because, you know, the whole cavalry is chasing you, then look out. But, Paul, here's what you do. Get you some Bigelow green tea, <laughs> drink it, settle your, you know, that blood pressure of yours down, and just go, okay, it's okay to admit you're wrong sometimes. You got me, Phil. And you got me. He, Oh, you're, you're, yeah, but I know. I'm going to get off the radio and go, yeah, you don't feel No, 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 you got me. You got me. I'm going to get the Honey Lemon Bigelow, though. I like that one very much. But, uh, what, but What's that you said? I missed you. The Honey Lemon uh, Bigelow Tea. I love that stuff. Well, lemon ginger with probiotics, that's the way to go. There it you tastes go. great. And if you're like me and you're older, you always have an upset stomach because you're yelling at fans and uh, <laughs> people that interview me and stuff like that. So it works well to settle my stomach down. Oh well, it's great. It's I'm great. Italian, Phil. My stomach is never settled. All right, listen. I got, I got, I got one final question, two parter for you before you go because we have to sure. ask you, if 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 somebody had just landed on Earth and never seen Eli Manning play before, what would your thumbnail sketch be to tell them about what Eli Manning was and why he deserves to be in the Giants' Ring of Honor? And the second part to that question is. What did it mean to you to be in the Ring of Honor, and what would you tell Eli about the, the pride and, and what the significance is of joining those great names on the wall? Well, of course, it's, it's an understatement to say he deserves to be in the Ring of Honor, and he one day will, of course, be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, what would I tell people out there? Look, to say he was Mr. Steady is an understatement. I mean, my gosh, it was never up or down, and and that was the opposite of me. I was all over the place and, and, you know, not emotional, but, you know, just, I don't know, football is such a struggle, but he seemed to handle that so great. And the other thing is, too, the fact that he just never missed a game or really never missed plays or anything like that in the game is, to this day, it's astounding to me. And even in this day and age, I know he got to play about half of his career in both where all of a sudden they said, hey, you know, these quarterbacks – they're a pretty big deal in the NFL. Let's start protecting them more and more. But um, 
you know, good for Eli. It's a great honor. And I was always told this when I was with the Giants. When it's over, they'll like you even more. And all of a sudden, I've turned into a guy that didn't throw a lot of interceptions and lose games. <laughs> and it, it, it really is true. Parcells used to tell me, don't worry, Sims, when it's over, you know, they'll appreciate you. And I go, yeah, Bill, who cares about, you know, 10 years from now? I'm talking about now. But uh, it, it is all true. And the fact that he played his whole career with the Giants is I think he's going to look back on that and just go, what a great deal that was, especially in this day and age. Phil, this was a real pleasure. Great to have you back with us this year. You'll be with us every other week from now to the end of the year. Great right. stuff. Thank you so much, and I promise you next well, week we'll have that uh, we'll have that technical issue uh, squared away so we don't have to deal with that again. That's okay. Right? Listen, listen. I, I just feel really good right now, extremely satisfied, like after eating a good meal my wife cooked because I got Paul upset. It's just awesome. <laughs> It is, and I'm gonna, and 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 I'm gonna go join, enjoy my Bigelow tea, grab a mug and tea proudly. Phil, hope you have there even you better Thanks, rest of the day. Be well, Thank Phil. You. Thanks. Y'all have a great day, Paul. John, good talk to you. Thank Bye you, now. Phil. That's Phil Sims again. The Sims Spotlight brought to you by Bigelow Tea. Grab a mug and tea proudly, guys. If I can explain to you the joy I have in my heart as I watch Phil Sims completely debunk. One of Paul's foundational opinions about quarterback play in real time. It's like watching the gears on a clock get out of whack. And like in the cartoon, when the springs start flying out and the gears start sparking, the whole thing like explodes. It was like the computer saying, this does not compute. And the entire system just breaking down in front of my eyes. It was glorious. Do you remember the old science fiction show, which has probably been on reruns on cable, John, Lost in Space? Yeah, sure. There was a robot who used to go around when things went wrong and said, warning, warning, Will Robinson, warning, warning, because things were just exploding and going haywire all over the place. That was me just now as <laughs> Phil was pulling the plug on me and telling me that Daniel Jones needs to run a little bit more and that it's okay. He got me. I never thought of it that way. I must confess to you a thousand times over. We've had over. that conversation on the air before. No, but I've never, I've never, <laughs> I've never thought of the fact that, and he was a runner, by the well, way. He's telling the truth. There are people who don't remember. Phil was a scrambler his first couple of years before the the, the, the injury list just became as long as wallpaper. Oh, we've definitely had the and, conversation where you can, where you know. You don't get blindsided when you're well, running. Yeah, into because the post of the Eli pocket. was always good about folding up and yeah, never taking those hits. Right. We've had that talk before, but I never remembered Phil, who had been so badly banged up early in his career. I never remember him telling me. Oh no, not, no, not Phil, not Phil right, specifically. No. That that those hits when he was running were not responsible in any way for him taking the amount of of injuries that he had to take on. So. With Phil, with Phil pounding that into my brain, uh, I am now going to allow Daniel Jones to run five or six times a game instead of only three to four. I'm going to give a little bit. So, Pearson, here's the thing. So now whenever I need to convince Paul of something, I just need to find a former giant to come on the show. No, you need to find and, number 11 and because number 11 can convince me of anything. And parrot that opinion for me because apparently he doesn't listen to me or Lance or Jeff. It goes in one ear. It bounces around there with all his thoughts about you know spaghetti and meatballs, and it bounces right out the other side. So I think that's what we have to do now, right? Every other week we'll just get one of his opinions to change. Yes, I, th I, think, I think we have a segment coming up here. 
it'll be like break the Tino's gears or something <laughs> like that. I'm going to figure it out. I, I don't I don't think Phil and I would have too many disagreements, but there's one of them that he has now uh, made me chew on a little bit more. Uh, but other than that, honestly, look, he's a Parcells guy, right. and so am I. So we will probably agree on ninety five percent of of the issues that you throw his way. Just so you know. And look, I, and look, and I, I've, I've, I'm not a proponent of you know running him like you run Lamar Jackson like eighteen times a game. And as Jason Garrett said, we're not going to run the triple option with him and a ton of read options. Well, you didn't ask him should he be the leading rusher on the well, team. No, the answer is of no. Of course not. He but, shouldn't be. But as a component of the rushing attack is a half a dozen times a game. I think it helps. I think it helps the offense. I just said I'll go to five or six, but it's not going higher than that. It's not. Not in my book. And that's only because of Phil. He he, he lofted me up a couple of spots. If it's week 17, winning you're in, and it means winning the game, I'll tell you what, Paul's going to change his tune again. He's going to like, Jones, 13 carries, 125. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, my. 201-939-4513. You set that up with him, didn't I, you? I, I wish I did. If I knew that would have worked, I would have set that up last year, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> 201-939-4513. The Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated are at greater risk from COVID-19. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated. Visit NJ or nyrather.gov slash get vaccinated. That's nygovernor slash get vaccinated. Or talk to your health care provider. All right, let's go to the phones here. Paulie Dots, they've been patient enough. I believe Tim and Charleston is first up, right? Pierce and Tim, what's going on? Hey, John and Paul, how you doing? This Hello. Is, uh, an, an honor. My first time being the first caller with many call-ins. But anyway, I got a couple of quick things. I know you got a bunch of people who probably want to talk about what Phil had to say. First off, John, can you make an audio file out of what Phil said? about people calling to comment on Daniel Jones where he says, just stop it, okay? I might and actually. Play that good every, idea. And every time Charlie calls, play <laughs> it at the beginning of the call. That's not Please. It's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> Maybe we should, like, post and, some loudspeakers outside Charlie's home and play it on loop. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> like, that's how they got Noriega to surrender. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... And then the second thing, John, I don't know if you saw it. I know how busy you are, but I, 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 may, I mean, not like we made a bet, but I made a bet to you after Thursday's game that about Charlie's comment on the uh, on the Slayton miss in the end zone. No, I didn't and, see it. And, and, I, it? and I, oh, I said, I said, I guarantee that Charlie calls up tomorrow and says that Daniel Jones should have floated that ball. He <laughs> threw it too hard. And sure enough, he said it. I'm sitting here listening to it that night after work, and I'm clapping. I was like, "I won the bet! I won the bet!" You wouldn't, you would have gotten my uh, my uh, ceviche recipe if if he hadn't mentioned it. But we'll we'll save that for another time. <laughs> All right, sounds good. So uh, the last thing I got is it, this: just sort of came to me last night. I don't know why. But in listening to all, I listen. You know, I listen to all the the uh, uh, Giants huddles. I listen to everything and oh, read everything on on the app. Um, so, but I I just have a feeling. I've got nothing to back it up, but a feeling. But you know how that is, Paul. You get a feeling, you got to go with it. Sure. Um, that this Sunday is going to be Kenny Galladay's coming out party. Um, he's going to. In my book, he's got at least one touchdown, at least six receptions, over 100 yards. I think this is going to be his coming out party as a giant, especially after that little bit last week, which I think was a big nothing burger. 
but I think that him and Garrett and Jones all want to put that to bed, and what better defense to do it against than the Falcons. And I'll take your comments off the air. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate the call. Look, the Falcons have a young cornerback core. Fabian Moreau is their veteran. I believe he had a rough game against the Giants last year when he was with a different team. Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to remember right, Paul, is that right, Fabian uh, Moreau? The, he, num- the, the name is, is ringing with, a bell. Was he with Washington last year, Fabian Moreau? I'd have to check that. I can't remember. I vaguely remember him having a rough game against the Giants last year. But A.J. Terrell, Isaiah Oliver, Isaiah uh, Terrell, I have not seen word on him from practice today. He did miss practice yesterday with a concussion which would be a big loss for the Falcons. He's their best corner. He's made a couple nice plays playing that cover two defense that they like to play. Though, honestly, look, and I've been on this all year. I'm, I'm going to go down with the ship. I think this is the Saquon Barkley breakout game. I'm with Phil. I think this is the week. The Falcons play cover two more than any other team in the league, which means they have two safeties deep all the time, Paul. To me, this is a week that Saquon is going to break out and have that monster game. Yeah, I have Saquon for for 20 plus touches and 100 yards this week. I agree with you so a you thousand percent. So you are taking the reins off. I think so. Nice. I think right, so. Good. We discussed this with uh, Howard Cross on the show yesterday. And and we do think that this is the week that Saquon becomes Saquon again, especially because they have an undersized defense. Uh, they use a lot of speed, and they charge the line of scrimmage a lot because the safeties are deep. Mm-hmm. So those guys can be creased for a big play. I think Barkley can make some big running plays. Now, um, dear Orlando Ledbetter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is part of our huddle that we're going to have later on this week. Friday, yep. Okay. We had a chance to talk to him today, uh, Lance Meadow and I did, and it does look like A.J. Terrell, who is their best secondary player, their best cover guy, uh, is not going to play. They're very, very iffy about it. It doesn't look good for him. So I asked uh, D'Lo, I said, well, so now he's their best cover guy. What happens if he's out? And he said, well, the funny part is they had T.J. Green as the starting corner yesterday at practice. T.J. Green has been with five different NFL organizations after he was originally drafted in the second round by the Colts back in 2016. Well, I don't even remember that Hasn't game. started a game in several years. He's a second-round pick? He's six huh. foot three. okay? So he's a tall guy, but has not started a game in several years. And D'Lo said to me and, and Lance, I don't know why they suddenly think that he's going to be capable of starting an NFL game after he's been on so many organizations and not started for a number of years. He was incredibly surprised that he got the next call as the next man up and basically told us that that would be an area, if you're the Giants, that you would want to attack. Now, he's 6'3", so would they want to shadow Galladay with him because of the height situation? Well, they're not going to shadow anyone with anyone, Paul, because they play zone all the time. Okay, but the question is, would they want to go flop inside simply because... Of the size. Because otherwise, Galladay is going to have a mismatch against whoever's on the other side. To me, this is going to be such, especially if A.J. Terrell doesn't play, this is going to be such a heavy cover two zone thing. And the Giants are going to just have to be very patient in terms of methodically working the ball up and down the field and trying to work that. Uh, This could be a big, deep in-cut game for Galladay. Oh. In in between the linebackers and safeties in that cover two. If he wants it. That's where, if he wants to make some good intermediate catches in this game, that's where he's going to make it. Now, if they play their corners standard and they play them straight up, that means he draws Slayton. Okay? Slayton, with his speed and with his ability to maneuver, should be able to do a number on this guy. He also mentioned to us that they've moved... um, 
Oh man, I, I'm forgetting the Isaiah name. Isaiah Oliver into the slot. Yes, he's in the slot. This but year. he's correct, he was yeah. primarily a boundary guy. That's correct. Yes. Which means Shepard should be able to do a job on him running those routes out of the slot. Well, again, I don't think they're going to play any man to man, so I think he's just going to be finding holes in the zone. Exactly. Yeah. So, so his feeling was he did not know how the Falcons could possibly slow down the Giants' passing game. So you so you decide to put the kibosh on kiss of death on him on Thursday this week, huh? Well. Listening to, to <laughs> listening to that, listen, no, listening to that though, I just think that between their secondary issues and the fact that I also think Barkley can get a lot more runs this week because we do think he's coming along. I, I just feel the Giants, they should feel really good about scoring 30 plus points and doing a lot of whatever it is they want to do. They should on paper. Will it happen? I don't know. Yeah, they don't have that. They have Dante Fowler and Grady Jarrett. That's the closest yeah. thing the Falcons have to guys that you have to scheme against, right. right? Agreed. Those are their two guys, but beyond that, Deion Jones is fine. He's not like a game changer at linebacker. There's, and there's nobody else. And the secondary are the guys we just talked about. So, yeah, look, I agree. I think if the Giants execute their game plan, they should be okay, as long as the offensive line protects now. That's always the key to all this, right? If you don't protect well enough, and you hope based on what they did in the second half against Washington, you'll be able to in this game. Well, if you want to lean on that, right? right? If you want to lean on that evidence from the second half in D.C. Now, the first half against D.C. was not very good. No, the second half was a lot better in the pass pro. So if you want to lean on that and say, well, the Giants are going to need to move the ball through the air because they're not going to run block very well for Barkley, okay, fine. That should not be an issue for them. They should be able to use the passing game to carve up Atlanta's defense if they need to. That's the point. Let's go to Rick in Tampa. He's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Rick. Hey, what's up, guys? How are you today? Doing well. Hi. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, uh, uh, great, great, great hearing Phil. I want to comment a couple things he said, but, you know, regarding Eli, real quick, regarding Eli, because I know you started the week off with that about with being on the Ring of Honor. Uh, What I always remember of of Eli is obviously toughness um, and, I mean, durability, other than the stupidity of the Geno Smith thing, which really makes me upset still. Um, I mean, playing every game, his, his two. The pass to Manningham is the greatest pass he ever threw in the Super Bowl. That was amazing. Um, the toughness against San Francisco where he just got beat up that whole game and still came up and still won will always be a memory of, of Eli for me. So it's, it's exciting uh, as he goes into the ring of honor. So um, there's so many more, but you know what? I just wanted to throw that out uh, for Eli. Um, okay. Regarding what Phil said, and I agree with you about a lot on our offense, about just this has got to be Bark, uh, Barkley has to break out this game. The offense has been, I think, and I, hey, I agree, let him run. I'm sorry, Paul. Uh, we need to RPO it. We need to get Daniel going. Uh, the offense has to continue to improve. They should but, not need Jones to run a lot to beat no, the Falcons. Know, takes, they should not. Though, though, Jalen Hurts killed him with that in week one. He did. Right. FYI. He did. Right. He but did. they should not I, need I, that. They should not need it, but that comes to my second point, Paul, that this team is so flawed right now. And I've said this each week, and I'm going to say it again. Oh, Listen, 0-4 in September against New Orleans, Atlanta, Denver and Washington will be unacceptable. And the thing is, the defense 
Matt Ryan, and I'm, I'm saying this, I don't know where any confidence for this team this week is coming from for two reasons. Is that, one, we can't rush the passer uh, quarterback, and Matt Ryan's going to be thrown to pits. The guy we wanted all year long is going to kill us this weekend. You watch. And oh, Paul will watch team, it. Don't worry. He'll watch very I know closely. You will. I, and, and we all will. And so will and Jeff. The thing, he, our team, our coaching staff, we don't know how to win. That's the problem. Something's going to happen where I have no confidence in the coaching staff to pull out a win for some bonehead play or for some other way. We're going to lose this game. Nothing is proven, and I'm not alone in this. Giants fans are out there saying the same thing. Nothing's proven to me that we can win a game. And Atlanta's going to come in, from what I'm hearing from my, my son who lives in Georgia, they're talking about getting pits going and being able to throw on the job. I mean, not the job, but on the Giants' uh, uh, defense. It's, it, it, I think, and I please, I hope it's not the case. But I have no confidence again. And every week I've been right. I have been on the ledge. You tried to talk me off, and here I am again. But you know that. Uh, despite the Yankees winning last night, I have now a, it's strictly Giants. Let me concern. throw something at you about the pass rush, okay? Thank you, Rick. We got to run, pal. I, I think, Rick, that old Jolari, who played at Georgia, I think he knows that everybody back home is going to be watching this game because the Atlanta Falcons are televised down there. He's had a couple of sacks the first couple of weeks. I would like to think that, that he continues to excel and does some really good things. But more than anything... I'm waiting for Leonard Williams to show me what Leonard Williams can do. Yeah, Six pressures in the first game against Denver, was in the backfield all day and did not finish. And then last week against Washington, did not do nearly enough. Did they ever reassign that sack to him in the first game? I don't think so. They should have. I thought he got a piece of the quarterback as he ran past him. I did anyway, too. They ended up giving that to Austin Johnson, right? Yeah. yeah. But, but I do think it's time for Leonard Williams to show me a Leonard Williams game. Here it is in week three, and this is the offensive line to do it against. Yeah, we should briefly talk about that offensive line, Paul. And then I know we got about 13 minutes. we got two callers. We'll get to both of you before we say goodbye. But this Falcons offensive line, they have two very good players on it. Chris Lindstrom at right guard is a very good player. Jake Matthews, a left tackle, a very good player. Caleb McGarry is, is more of a mauler at right tackle. You can get him with speed rushes. He's not mm-hmm. the most mobile guy. Uh, over the course of the year, if you guys are curious in terms of um, actual numbers he's given up, uh, they have him tracked for, let's say, uh, two quarterback hits, five hurries, and a sack. And then the center and left guard have had issues this year. Matt Hennessy is a, I believe, a 2023rd round pick? Yes. Uh, he's at center. He's a little undersized. He can move well, but you can get him with power. And then Jalen Mayfield, who is a tackle coming out of Michigan, a guy that we talked a lot about this year, Paul, leading up to the draft as a potential second-round pick. He was a tackle for Michigan. They've had to move him into left guard. And once they got into must-pass territory... It wasn't good. ...in the games against Tampa and Philadelphia, when he's trying to block guys like Fletcher Cox, and last, last week he's trying to block guys like Indominus Sue and Vita Vea, did not go well. No. So those are the guys that I think if, if you're looking for where you can get some pressure, those are the spots you will try to you know kind of put the spotlight on. Uh, D'Lo Ledbetter said point blank, uh, Matthews and Lindstrom are the only two offensive linemen they have. He flat out said they play with two offensive linemen because the other three guys can't play. He was very, very frank about it. And that says all you need to know. It certainly says a lot. 201-939-4513. 
Hey, Giant fans, taking all the action of Giants football from your own private suite. Suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants at MetLife Stadium. Speak with the Giants suite rep now by calling 888-NYG-1925. Let's go to Phil in North Carolina. He's up next. Hey, Phil. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi. Uh, thanks for the thanks for the uh, picking up my call here. Been trying to get in a while. Uh, and just a comment. Just, you know, how lucky are we to have these these uh, former or, you know, giants there, like Phil and, and Howard and Carl around? I mean, it's... Sean and David it, and all these guys. They're great. It, it's great. The no, Giants, no, one yeah, of the, it's I one don't. of the things about Giants tradition, if I may just say this, a lot of the Giants who have succeeded here stay here. They set up roots here. Remember, Phil's from Kentucky. He's not originally a Jersey oh, yeah. guy. But but Giants yeah. Giants who come here usually wind up digging some roots in the area, at least uh, uh, on a part-time basis, if nothing else. Of course, yeah. I mean, Eli's here, right? Sure. Yes, he <laughs> so is. There's another good example, right? So... But I just wanted to throw that out. Really super lucky, and the insight's phenomenal. And uh, that was a great piece there. So, and Phil is one of my favorites. Uh, so, great. Uh, at one thing I wanted, wanted to discuss about, you know, I try to think big picture sometimes with the, uh, with the team. And one of the, and I hate to do this to you, Paul, I know one of your foundations is you hate this uh, quicksand of mediocrity, I think you call it. But, I haven't know, heard that before, really. Yeah, isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody throw me a rope. Go ahead. But, Someone but, throw but, me but earplugs. No, and, and, <laughs> and that's fine. And that's fine. But what does it say that we have the worst record in over these last four years? It's kind of, it's really disturbing. In that you know, it's one thing you know, and I I went through those some of those horrible uh, mid sixties teams. And the and the seventies teams, and it was one thing that you know we we you know we were just uh, it was a little more difficult. The, the free agency wasn't there, and, and so forth. But but now we're in a we're supposed to be in an easier position to get ourselves out of this rut, and we haven't been able to do it. Yeah, I I, I understand. Look, I just told John the other day, I, I went back and I looked at it since the beginning of the twenty seventeen season. The Giants have lost four games on a field goal on the last play of the game, one field goal with one second to play in the game, and one field goal with 22 seconds left to play. So they have suffered six dramatic, heartbreaking losses inside the final 22 seconds of a game over the last 66 games that they have played. So, you know, you want to talk about Lady Luck just kicking you in the butt. Those losses... In, in some cases, could have meant a, a whole different perspective on how much pain that, that you know you have suffered, you know, through dealing with these things. But those losses, in particular, have been excruciating. Yeah, that's ten percent, Paul. So yeah, so exactly. So it kind of brings me to the second point: is that I think a part of the. I'm going to answer my own question. I'm sorry, John, if you had some insight, but uh, I think part of it is we're afraid to lose. And we have to get out of that mindset of being afraid to lose. So, like, for example, we needed that first down when we got that Bradbury interception. We needed that first down. That was everything, the whole everything. We should have never gotten to Dexter jumping offside. We needed that first down. The game's over, and we got an automatic. We didn't need the touchdown. We just needed the first down, and Graham tried out there and kicked That's the field That's very goal. fair. 
That's very fair. And, and, and we should have just – we can't be afraid to lose. If we want to change this culture, we can't be afraid to lose. So that's my, that's my comment for today. I've been meaning to try to get in on it, but I appreciate you letting me uh, kind of voice my opinion. And, Paul, sorry, there's a lot of things I agree with you on, you know, offensive line running and all that stuff. But uh, uh, that one, uh, I just, you know, I, I wanted to get, try to get at the core of this thing Someone in okay. my mind, so I, so I can sleep a little better because yeah, <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh, you know nights you know that last night after that loss was not good. So, okay, guys, thank you, appreciate it. Don't miss out on the return of New York Giants football. The 2021 season is obviously underway, but there's still a lot of time to secure your season tickets and root on your Giants at MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling eight 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 NYG. 1925. All right, Paul. Um, I think the whole mentality thing, they're not afraid to lose. Daniel Jones was a better pass on third down. Maybe Sterling Shepard takes the yard and gets the first down. We gotta play better. I it's great. Oh, change of mentality, afraid to lose. These are easy things that people say to make it seem that, oh, if you just do this thing, everything's gonna be okay. No, you gotta execute better. You gotta well, execute. Better. If they connect on the bomb to Slayton well, earlier yeah. in the game, then that doesn't matter at all. It matters zero. Yeah, correct. You're great. Right? Point. Great. Game's point. over. Yeah. The, the the lead is too much to overcome. Or maybe they don't commit two consecutive false start penalties and turn a third and five into a third and fifteen. Maybe and maybe they, they get score, points. Maybe or maybe a touchdown. Who knows? I know. I know. Look, the bottom line is the Giants did not do enough of good things to overcome their faults against Washington. That's really what happened. And, I mean, hey, I, I, will, I will add this, though, John. The way the game is today, and this is because it's been regulated and the rules have changed to open up the pass. The NFL wants more offense, wants more points, wants more dramatic finishes. They love the fact that games are being decided by field goals in the final minute. Oh, yeah, they is, love that. This is by design. It's not a flaw. Correct. It's a, yeah, I mean, Correct. yeah. But but I believe it's a in feature. my, in my mind, this is more of a marketing tool that the league has made sure that the game has leaned into this direction. What does that mean? It means nowadays you better have an offense that grabs a game by the throat and puts it away when they have a chance. Because nowadays, if your defense is on the field in the final minute and a half to two minutes of a game, chances are they're going to be handicapped. They're at a disadvantage because you've got rules that lend itself to offense and you've got kickers that can rip the ball 55 yards and make 60% of their field goals from that distance. So it's meant right now, the game is meant for your defense to fail in that situation. It's meant to give the offense a better than sporting chance to come from behind and beat you. So you better choke out your opponent before you get to that spot. Before we get to our final call, I just want to remind everybody, if you go to the Giants Huddle podcast, our latest episode of the All In NYG podcast is up there. You guys can go check it out. It's the wide receivers reminiscing about the Super Bowl 46 championship team. It's all presented by PNC Private Bank. And, of course, coming up this afternoon, we're going to record it actually in about 15 minutes. Bob Popple of a one-on-one with Eli Manning talking about going into the Ring of Honor. So that'll go up later this afternoon. And then tomorrow, Paul mentioned it already, we're going to have our game preview. I talked to Jan- Daniel Jones. I'll do that conversation tomorrow. Bob Popple will talk to Joe Judge. That will also take place tomorrow. And Paul and Lance already spoke to the Orlando Ledbetter from the Orla- Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So 
make sure you guys check that out. That'll post sometime late Friday afternoon. I know it's three episodes in three days. You don't like jamming them in that tight. It's tough, <laughs> but it just so happened how the interview timing kind of worked out this week. So make sure you go listen to each and every one of those episodes again on the Giants Huddle podcast. Charlie, I asked your question to Phil Sims. I expect you to be nice. <laughs> no, thanks, John. You realize that question was the reason why Paul had to backtrack from his statement. You know, you make so a good point. A if good it question. wasn't for Charlie's question, I wouldn't have gotten question. to see Paul squirm. And he makes a good point. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, <laughs> so both of you ganged is, up on me is what you did. Me? No, <laughs> Phil did. Don't put it on us. That's Phil. Phil did. Right. Yeah, I'm just surprised that Lance had nothing to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> the puppet master. I think Lance might be proud of me, but maybe not. I don't Never. Know. No, but, uh, no, he's not. <laughs> the only way he'd be proud of me is if he stopped calling, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like the, the thing is, though, Phil never answered my total question. I mean, the only thing he said is that Jones should run more. I, I wanted him to say, like, you know, Jones is better on the scene pass or, or the fades or the post or the or the this or the that. You know, that's his strength. Well, Charlie, the way know? he answered it, I think he thinks in terms of the passing game, he can pretty much do whatever you want him to do. Phil talked about the big-time yeah. throws yeah. he made. He seemed very pleased yeah, I, with, I with his throwing. I don't think Phil would limit him at all on scheme based on his throwing ability. I think he Why wants would to you? throw the kitchen. Yeah. Like He said it earlier in the show, right? He said, look. Like, this is it. Third year, you give him everything. Like, there's no holding back. This is like, Daniel, you take the reins and you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, you know, it was good. I'm, I'm glad he uh, answered the question. It was a good question, and uh, so I thought that was fun. And the thing about complimenting being his afraid own question, to lose. Yes. <laughs> yeah, being afraid to lose, well, we're doing an awful lot of losing. I don't think we're too afraid of it. I mean, what is it? What does that mean? I don't understand what that means. Yeah, neither so, do I. I, I, I actually have to agree with you on that. I don't understand what that means either. And by the way, never, never ask Joe Judge if the team has to learn how to win. Don't ask him that question. He will, he will, he will verbally put his hands around your neck and pop your little noggin off the top of your body. He hates that. Hey, look, I, I have dreams of asking him some tough questions and him coming after me and and trying to. Punch me out. If only that could be <laughs> reality. Uh, <laughs> you know, Lance feels the same way about you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul. Yes. Paul, you always give Real us quick, a kiss Real quick, Charlie. We got to go soon. Real quick. Yeah, just quick. Give us a kiss of death. You talk about this defensive back that is horrible, and he'll end up with an interception in this game because you always do it. You know, this guy's going to be Pro Bowl player to Sunday. But well, anyway, thanks, guys. That's thanks, Charlie. In fairness, I, I put the kiss of death last week when I said they needed to get some pressure on Sam Cosme. I don't think you can give up one pressure the whole game, so you could put that on me last week. Yeah, the, the Washington offensive line did a heck of a lot better than they did in week one, that's for sure. Uh, let's hope that's not the case with Atlanta this I week know. after the first two weeks. With so, what they have put on tape, uh, wow. You, you, you should be able to get some pressure on the quarterback. Yes. Paul, good stuff. We'll have more preview tomorrow. Lance, Jeff, and I will have our Friday show. Fun show, and I wonder who you're going to bring out of the woodwork to try to debunk me again next time. I'm telling you, this is going to be the Paul Dettino feature. I love it. Debunking Paul or something <laughs> like that. We'll figure it out. Fun show, John. I like alliteration. All right, that's it for Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks for being with us, everybody. We're getting back again on Friday at 1230 for another episode. We thank Phil Sims and the folks at Bigelow T for his spot. Again, every other Thursday from here on out the rest of the season, we'll be welcoming Phil into the program. For Paul, I'm Schmelk. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live.